The Ohio Harness Horses Association presents Top of the Stretch, a podcast that looks at harness racing in the Buckeye State. Today on Top of the Stretch, we're speaking with trainer Ty Loy. Ty Loy began his racing career officially in 1977. During that career, 1,185 career wins. Earnings as a driver, $4,207,562. As a trainer, 1,318 training victories. And his stable has won 8671278 dollars Ty Loy, born and raised in Galleon, Ohio, now resides in Columbia Station. Ty, welcome to Top of the Stretch. Hello, Roger. We go back a long way. Uh, <laughs> primarily, you started out uh, racing at the county fairs, uh, and I was announcing a lot of those fairs, and uh, you finally switched off to the racetracks, Paramutual, and used catch drivers. But I always felt that Ty Loy enjoyed driving the horses at the fairs. Is that true? Yeah, that's very true. I mean, a lot of fun sometimes, especially if you get the little, the better one. If you got the right horse, it's a lot of fun, isn't it? Oh, yeah, especially at places like Lisbon. With this COVID-19 that's going around right now, you've got a stable of horses. You're at Northfield Park. How has it affected you and your stable operation? Well, I've uh, cut down a few people here. I'm trying to keep the less people out of the barn as possible, and I'm doing a lot of a lot of work myself. I got so many clean stalls, and I get one person maybe come in once or twice a week to help me train these things and try to keep doing the rest myself. But just try to keep less amount of people there is in here. That's the way it's supposed to be, I guess. So, <laughs> the one question I have: Did you turn some of them out, or are you continuing with the stable? just like you were getting ready to go to the races in a few weeks? Uh, I got to keep on going. I got, I think, seven, seven two-year-olds in here, and yeah, I still got to look for them like we might be back at it in July. And I, the other ones are three-year-olds except for one four-year-old, and they just all got qualified, and they haven't got the race yet, the three-year-olds. And the four-year-old only had, like, uh, three starts. And i just been kind of keeping them – semi-trained up where I'm keeping close with them and I was going to turn a couple out and I couldn't get a place to turn out because uh, a lot of places are full of broodmares right now and and other people's horses too. The seven two-year-olds that you've got, uh, any of them stand out right now? Yeah, there's a couple. I hate bragging on them because something always seemed like it happened on them things, but there's better all I got over, better all bunch of two-year-olds this year and I've had the last couple of years. I've had like one standout every year, or really good one or decent one, but a lot of them were bad horses. And this year it seemed like they're all, all really kind of nice horses. I don't know how much heart they got, but they act right now like they're all right. <laughs> when, when you start out with a two-year-old, are you pretty sure of what you've got and its potential for the future, or you get surprised every once in a while? Well, you can have the best breeding in the world with some of these things, and you get you get started with them. There could be something wrong with them. I've had a 
muscle hills with uh, spinal problems and and I've had dragon again the same thing and I've had some that didn't look that great and all of a sudden where they come from I mean it's really after you buy them at the sale you, Mel Turcott one time said they're all the same when you put the harness on after that no matter how good they're bred or not you just now, go from there olds, you're going right down the, the pike with them just like uh, we were you're getting ready to go to the the fairs or the stake races or such, but the three-year-olds and older, uh, have you kind of slowed their progress down getting ready for the coming back to the races? Well, like I said, they just got qualified, and I've kind of been going once a week. I might have to go twice a week this week just to give them a, sh- a sharp training. I know a couple of them are starting to get a little uh, extra weight on them, which don't hurt them any, but, but like I said, I'm just keeping them close and uh, – well, I don't want to get behind when they do all of a sudden turn the switch on and then trying to catch up or something. So as the operation continues, it's got to be worrisome and concern about exactly when we're going to get back to racing. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it kind of scares me because I own like uh, four of these horses myself in here and I'm just, <laughs> and uh, there's no, uh, training bills on those not the one I get I'm just paying myself <laughs> and the other ones are training bills which kind of help pay the rest for keep the rest going stuff like that getting the other two how are, ready how are your owners handling the situation they're paying those training bills so well the ones with the two-year-olds that's they're going to pay anyway you know it's not like they had the race and the two racehorses I had well three of the racehorses I had ready qualified before them I owned uh, three of them things, or two of them things right now. So, And uh, the other one, Bill Sanders, he's just worried about me if I don't get catch his virus or something like that. And and they all seem pretty pretty cool about it right now. How are uh, your opinion on the other horsemen? Is, we're all in the same boat, uh, horsemen, officials, and everything just not knowing when we're going to come back. How are the folks that you're connected with at Northfield, how are they handling the situation? Is everybody anxious, I would assume? Yeah, they all wonder, and you get some people try to get unrealistic about getting back. Oh, we'll be back by May 1st, which realistically, I don't think. More like we're looking the middle of May, end of May, the earliest, I would say. And a lot of people are just keeping on doing their business as normal, but you got some that want to throw everything out or some of them back and way down and stuff like that. But some of the bigger stables here are staying right, staying right with the program yet. Now let's get away from training and all the things that are going on in the world today. But uh, that's a few other questions we're going to just kind of throw at you. And, uh, Give us what your first impression and first answer comes to your mind. Your first memory of harness racing sport. First memory. Uh, when I was a I guess a kid when, up here in Northfield watching uh, the first horse dad, my dad bought went up here. And uh, I remember when he got claimed later on too. But I remember some uh, certain special horses, too, when I used to come up here and 
watch. Uh, horse was one of them was Roxball Geo. It was a Roxboard Roxboard Leonard horse. It just always stuck out in my mind because they had a big blaze face and he was kind of a nice horse. What he raced, and I think he was a claimer. What he was back back in the seventies and the early eighties. Well, the seventies. Excuse me, earlier than that. First part of the seventies. <laughs> so, and then uh, later on, some of the What's when that? You started out, you couldn't drive. Uh, you was what about twelve years old when you first started working around yeah. the horses? Yes, that's when it was. Twelve years old, and uh, I remember the night that Dad bought the horse in Delaware sale. They had a tornado that night and tore up some stuff. And <laughs> but uh, first horse name was a uh, Fleet Code. It was a well, he was a can't remember what he was exactly his breeding wise and i remember some of the other ones we got after that the lila time was a combat time which there's people don't even know what those that breeding is anymore (laughs) well i sure do (laughs) i remember a lot of combat times races himself before even his breeding career yeah we're telling our age i guess yeah i guess (laughs) the best advice that anybody in or out of the business ever gave Ty Loy. Who gave you that best advice that carried you through your life? Oh, boy. That's a, that's a tough one there. Oh, I mean, there was a lot of old timers I'd listen to, when, especially when I was in training at Mount Vernon, just things to do and and uh, how to hang one up or how to uh, – treat for something and stuff like that, old-time remedies. Uh, really, what got me started was a guy called Mel Miller one time. I had a horse that I uh, got from a certain trainer up here, and he wouldn't finish. They just calling him, calling him bad, and he showed me some stuff to spray the horse's nose because I was all the time having snot. And this uh, cleaned this horse up, and he went a lot of races for me. That's just like an example of some of the older guys I listened to and stuff. If you had not got got involved in harness racing, what do you think Ty Loy has been doing with his life now? Uh, I'd have probably been a machinist and probably retired because that's what I was uh, working on uh, when I was down Mount Vernon as a machinist uh, during the day and work at night. Or sometimes I had a stable up here and was driving back and forth working then at a machine shop. The word retirement is something that the vast majority of horsemen never run into. Uh-huh. I plan on a couple more years just getting down to two or three horses or four. I mean, I've Sem- done some hard things with retirement. Yeah, semi. You stop doing anything, you'll end up dying. You'll just go to fall to pieces what happened. <laughs> if you had to pick the biggest moment in your entire harness racing career, what would that moment be? Uh, two of the Cyrus Stakes I won. One was a uh, Sand Squall when she won the first Cyrus Stake champion I ever did, and then when the Sand Violent Blue won the Cyrus Stake championship in Pennsylvania and was a world record time then. That was pretty special. Both of them were. You drive at the county fairs. But at the race meets, nowadays at least, you use catch drivers and such. How how does a trainer and a former driver 
go about picking the right horse or the right driver for the right horse? Uh, some of them you try to maybe listen a little bit, especially if it's a horse just starting back. You don't want them on the front end or you don't want them uh, pulled first up or something like that, the three-eighths pull. That's when the good driver is supposed to be a little smart and figure out a trip. And uh, there's a couple of drivers that listen really good. Chris Page is one. Like I started my Philly bag out with him. I was going to drive a first turn. He just had to be available. And he took care of her the right way and uh, finished a strong end and win her next start. I mean, we raced her, to, raced her to win and everything, but just things didn't work out when she got in the four holes because we didn't want her first up that night. But um, he, takes, he takes really good care of her horse. Ronnie Wren does. Aaron's a little tougher to talk to, but he'll listen to you if you drill on him hard enough. But you want the horse finishing and don't want him doing the backstroke on the way on the down the stretch. So a lot of them I'll start myself, especially the young ones, like the first couple starts, just so they ain't. I know what they're doing in the race, and I can finish rigging them up the rest of the way and stuff. You know, it, it seems that you race at the county fairs and at Northfield most of the time, and other locations in Ohio, but uh, you also make the trip over to Pennsylvania occasionally to race at the Meadows. Oh, yeah. I like racing over there. Just I had a bunch of PA breads a couple of years ago, and right now, like, well, I got three of them right now. I just haven't, well, I was getting ready to start racing over there, and then all this happened. If you had to say outside of racing, what would be your favorite sport? Uh, mostly hunting and golf. Love to hunt. And, uh, not anymore. I used to be better than the average person, but not not like the the real good guys. I was respectable, put it that way. You ever take but on nothing like a, nothing like a Dave Pallone. No, not like a Ronnie Renner or Dave Pallone. But. <laughs> Sometimes I've heard people say that. Uh, Ren and Pallone actually could, if they'd have wanted to, could have probably been professional golfers. Yeah. I haven't got a chance to play Ronnie yet. I imagine that's going to happen one of these days here because uh, maybe even soon here since we ain't doing a whole lot. Some other what guys went your, out the other day. Him, Jeff Cox, and them went out the other day. What is your favorite food of all time? <laughs> I suppose a good steak. It's one thing you have in common with uh, Claire Umholtz. Yeah, and especially down at Malone's down in uh, Kentucky. <laughs> you go down to the fall meet and the sales as well? Oh, yeah. I've even raced down there. I haven't raced the last couple of years down there, but a lot of times I'd spend the whole two weeks down there to have three or four, especially when I had the New York Reds and a lot of the PA Reds too. What would be the one food item that you I, – I just can't, can't stand it. You can't stand? I can't stand? Yeah. Green peppers. Green peppers. <laughs> Anything that's got green peppers in it, I cannot stand. So if you're eating pizza, just hold the green peppers. Yeah, or don't ruin the chili with green peppers. <laughs> Claire Umholtz and I talked the other day about that walkover mile at Lisbon uh, where he and I had a bet to uh, going on for a charity 
one of us was uh-huh. a loser would donate to the charity. He was driving your horse. What's your recollections of that walkover mile at Lisbon? Well, that was a year we had no racehorses, and that filly that I raced that year would never. We didn't even think about taking her. Now she'd be. Would never had her. She got lucky and finished second and third in some other races when there's only like four horse fields. She had more steps than Fred Astaire when she raced. You just hung on as tight as you could with her. <laughs> I mean, that's when we had no, a lot of time to be two horse fields back then when there was no horses at all. That's before we got the slot money in Ohio. Of, a lot of horsemen have trouble at Lisbon because of the shape of the racetrack and uh, the turns and such. Uh, Claire said uh, he would have been right on in that time of 2.15 if she hadn't made a little break. Uh, was the break, uh, what caused the break? Uh, probably two things. I say he lost his shoe, but maybe the maybe the guy steering the lines a little bit didn't hang on to her hard enough. Sometimes you got to hang on. That one you had to hang on really good. It was a very, very scary horse to drive. <laughs> Do you have a favorite vacation spot when you just want to get away from everything? Where does Ty Loy go? Uh, the quickest place I got is a place down in Coshocton just to get away for like a day or something. Oh, Florida, if you get a chance to go in the wintertime or way up in Canada when I went uh, bear hunting a couple of years ago. It was really nice up there and quiet. you never seen nobody. I seen one one vehicle in uh, five six days up there, and that was a, uh, I guess uh, another guy that worked for the outfitter I was at with, and it's all wide open there. You know, everybody, no matter what occupation you're in, is on, probably has an idol. Is there somebody that Ty Loy uh, looks up to as an idol, so to speak? Yeah, I really got about. Two or three of them, uh, Jerry Bookmeyer and Tom Brinkerhoff and probably McCurgan. Donnie All McCurgan. three are members of the Ohio Harness Racing Hall of Fame. Yeah. But uh, I was around Tom when I was like 16 years old. And uh, well, my dad had to, had his couple horse with him then. I was back uh, grooming with him back in when I was 16. He showed me a few tricks, and I'll tell you what, I used to play pitch and catch with him with a softball, and he could whip a softball as hard as I ever seen anybody in my life (laughs) underhand. Do you have a preference of trotters or pacers? Um, Mostly getting more of the trotters nowadays. Just uh, a lot more fun when you get a good one. I've had a lot of luck the last couple of years, but this year I only got one trotter, and I don't think he's going to make it. I think he's just too immature, but I got a couple of pacing colts. It's kind of nice. I, in fact, one I own myself. And uh, But I kind of like the trotters a little better. I had a nice one, three-year-old last year. She's four now, and she just started back racing, and then all this, she got shut right back down. Biggest thrill in racing. Is there something that you have on your bucket list that you haven't accomplished? Oh. The only thing I never did was get a, win a Cyrus Stake final myself driving. I've had 
I'd kind of like to have done that, but that's probably not going to happen. And uh, maybe try to get a horse I own myself by myself to be the Star State champion in Triple Crown. Well, get the Triple Crown in Ohio. That'd be nice one time. We always look to the future, don't we, in harness racing? Oh, yeah. You can be on top of the world one day, and you can be on the bottom the next, the following year. Thank you for listening to Top of the Stretch. Top of the Stretch podcasts are a presentation of the Ohio Harness Horsemen's Association. Thank you for listening to Top of the Stretch. Top of the Stretch podcasts are a presentation of the Ohio Harness Horsemen's Association.